I don't know if you've if you've spent much time thinking about marriage or going to marriage conferences, you've probably been exposed to some of these ideas. And I was just kind of thinking about that during the break. Um, I'm like, man, maybe she would just kind of, but I, I really think this is foundational and super important. No matter how many times we keep coming back to these things or been exposed to them, I think that this is really important to catch um, some key things. So uh, I'm going to hold course. Um, I hope that this is um, helpful, though. Um, so the curse of the fall, we see that really clearly in Genesis three sixteen through 18. Um, to the woman, God says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he says, uh, because you listened to your wife and ate of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and for dust you are, and dust you will return. So um, what we see here is that the curse is actually given to the serpent and to the ground, and that these deeply impacted the man and the woman, and ultimately we see the totality of the fall. Theologians call this the noetic effects of the fall, that it impacts everything in the cosmos. Hurricanes existed after this, not before this, like the totality of the brokenness of the fall. Um, and what we see is um, that these curses play out differently for the woman and for the man, and um, we'll begin by discussing how that impacts women specifically. One of my favorite quotes by probably one of, probably my favorite person, one of my favorite people, Dan Allender. He says, "Evil hates the glory of God. It hates human beings because we reveal the glory of God through gender. The war for the human heart is fought on the terrain of gender. Evil wishes to destroy the pleasure and honor of being male and female, and will not stop doing so until we utterly fail to reveal God's glory." Um. Well, at the end, we'll kind of give some resources, but Dan's, um, if, when I do premarital counseling, that's his book is what I require the people that I'm counseling to read. It's called Intimate Allies, and that um, comes from that book. So um, the women, uh, we experience the curse primarily in two ways, um, uniquely to our gender. Um, the first is pain in childbirth, um, the action of conception, birth, and um even child rearing is painful. I'm sitting up here at 23 and a half weeks giant and um, experience discomfort um, already. And I think it's hard to think, how do people, how did people, like what, what did God intend? Like how did a woman like gain that, what is average, like 20 to 35 pounds? Like how does that work and that not be uncomfortable? And how how do you nurse and that not be, I mean, what are all these pieces of the puzzle that God had intended for beauty and yet uh, they come with struggle, they come with trouble. Um, when, when he says pain in childbirth, um, I don't think he's just specifically talking about pregnancy um, or, um, or birth. Um, I, he's talking about the way in which we relate with our children, um, the way in which we live in the tension of desiring independence for them um, while also feeling the pain of them not needing us anymore. I have a two-year-old who <coughs> acts like she's three, and 
her independence is so beautiful to me. It is alive, and she is smart and engaging the world around her with such freedom. And yet, there's a part of me at times that wished that she would like want her wants her to slow down, and not just for the sweet moments, but the selfishness of I, I want to be needed. I want like, and she still does. She needs her mommy, and and we have a great relationship. But I think the pain that I experience with that, and the struggle and the tension of that. Um, Women, we give ourselves in relationship. Um, we give all of who we are, um, especially once we become a mom. Uh, your identity really is changed even when you're far away. Your brain never turns off of mom mode, really, no matter how far you are away or how long you are away. Um, and I think taking that even outside of childbirth, just our longing in relationship, our longing for more. Um, the the second, yeah, yeah, please. I think childbearing and child rearing and the pain that's associated with that and the curse for the women. Also, just think about this. Um, conception, you're creating life. You're, you're literally, physically bringing life into existence. When conception happens, a new soul exists. That's crazy. Wow. Um, and so, for a woman, the relational tension is highlighted by the fact that where she's physically realistically creating life, but it's also a place of in, intense sense of longing and death where there's constantly a longing for more. There's this intimate relationship that a woman has with the child before it's even born, um, and yet there's constantly this tension of things not being right. And I think all of that just highlights how a woman is geared towards relationship more so or different so. Than a, than a man is. Mm-hmm. Um, the second piece of the curse that women primarily experience is conflict with your husband. Um, she'll desire control over him, um, and he will dominate her instead. Um, this is kind of norm for society, which is kind of why we slowed down during some of that language that we worked through with submit and stuff like that, that that really isn't what God intended for the way that we're hearing it. Um, and it's not... It's not ideal, uh, you know, husbands sacrificially loving their wives, she lovingly and voluntarily submits to her husband. Um, the conflict there, I think, is is so intense. Um, I can remember, uh, maybe you don't have to show hands, maybe you don't want to. Um, men sometimes will often say to me in my office, I just feel like I'll, I'll never be enough. I feel like no matter what I do, it's not going to be enough. Um, there's a reality that that's actually true. Because your wife was made for more than what anyone can do. So I'm seeing some smirks, so I'm guessing that's been said, and um, that's fair. That makes sense. So with that reality being present, um, I can remember Luke and I have had some really fun dates and getaways over the course of 10, 11 years together. And not, I, I wouldn't even change a piece of some of them. They were so perfect. Um, and yet I came home and I remember feeling so disappointed because I just wanted more. I, I, I didn't want it to end. I, we were in Nashville a while ago and I was like, we already had dessert. I was like, um, you want to go get a second dessert? Or like, I'll go, and I don't even really like dessert. Uh, you want to go get, uh, I'll go sit and like watch you. I was pregnant. I'm like, you, I'll go sit, like, let's go get bourbon. I'll, we'll go wherever you want. I'll just sit. I'll get a water. I just, I never, I didn't want it to end. Yeah. It was 11 at night. It was so significant to me that it just, it tasted so good. I was tasting a beautiful piece of heaven 
that I, I just didn't want it to end. And then when we were driving home, I was almost more upset than when, when we had left. Um, and so I think that also speaks to the longing for what God had intended pre-fall and how there is truth, husbands, that you aren't, in, you can't be enough. And I, I don't, I think we can kind of erase that sometimes and say things like, well, God's enough. I don't need relationship. That's not true. We already covered that. Um, you're, you, we need to lean into our marriage. We need to lean into our relationships. Um, but speaking to the, the kind of the way that plays out, that conflict of desiring more and being awakened to more um, is good. That's a part of your dignity. And yet, gosh, it is so stinking lonely to sit in that. Yeah. And so the woman would probably tend towards having a very present feeling of loneliness, more so than a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what do you do with that? Well, we tend to avoid those painful realities, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to have uh, early on in life figured out how to survive, and that tends to mean that we don't want to experience pain. Um, and so each person, each woman would tend to deal with that loneliness a little differently. Uh, some become very busy. Some put their hands to work and just kind of, you know, do stuff. Um, some may just shut down um, and and kill their desire. <clears throat> and that's true for men, too. Um, but uh, women, I think, have a higher likelihood of killing their desire in some respects um, and just kind of shutting down. And so um, you have to understand that intimacy... Uh, one fleshness, um, being naked and no shame. That's a picture of vulnerability, remember? And so what's happening here is the curse of the fall is that a woman learns to not be vulnerable. It's too risky. A woman learns how to protect herself so that she doesn't experience the loneliness, the longing, the heartache, the desires that are unmet. She has to. It's not abnormal. She has to save Christ. Um, and so this is all self-protection. And she can do this and tend towards control, or she can do this uh, through avoidance. Um, she can do this as a way passively, or she can do this in a way that's more on the aggressive side of avoiding those realities. So, again, feeling the weight of this is is godly, is health, is what we want. Um, I had the pleasure of saying to a friend this morning, I'm glad that your marriage is hurting you. (laughs) It's just kind of an ironic thing to say. But there's a piece of that of, I'm glad you're feeling the weight of this. I'm glad you're alive enough and in touch with what God wanted for you that this is hard. Um, I don't want it to be hard. That pain is really uncomfortable, but I'm so glad that you are not dead, and I'm so glad that you are not suppressing this anymore. Um, and, and I think as we kind of work through, as we get to the bulk of some of this um, stuff, we'll see that there's a tension there of what does it look like to hear and know, yeah, this will not be enough, this side of heaven. What do I do with that? Mm-hmm. How, do I, how do I ask for what I want and risk and be vulnerable knowing that I'm going to experience loneliness? Uh Larry Crabb describes it as the feeling of invisibility. Women will then experience just being invisible um, to themselves and to others because 
that's the that's a way to cope. And we'll, we either do that <coughs> aggressively by disappearing, or we do that passively by just completely not engaging at all. Um, and so I think that the vulnerability piece and experiencing the loneliness, that is what not what God intended because he intended perfection, but I think that is what godliness looks like here as we kind of lean into those things. Mm-hmm. So we'll transition into talking about the curse for men specifically. Just a little recap. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. You'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You'll eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dusk you are, and dusk you will return. So what we see here is that this is a lot about the way the man is suffering in his work, his dominion, and ultimately that translates into his impact in the world around him. Men want impact. Men want to experience the power that they are created to have dominion. Dominion is a strong word. That's a good thing. Um, and yet, there's a futility and there's a lack of impact. Um, the futility, first, um, is just that men tend to, to feel insufficient, um, insecure, like they're not up to the task. Um, Here's some examples. Um, the futility of work, the futility of the world around us. How many times have you mowed your grass? <laughs> Man. Um, gardening. Uh, thorns and thistles. You literally have weeds growing in your garden. You, you cultivate something. You do the work. You sweat. You get dirty. And then those freaking weeds are there week after week. I mean, that's the, the picture. Like, so think about it. Like, you're, you're actually... As a man, you're called to sort of cut back the weeds of life in all areas. And the weeds just keep growing back in the same place. Even if you uproot them, new roots come, new weeds. That's futility. That's crazy. And so we don't actually have any ultimate impact in that sense. Um, I mean, think about... Think about how you engage a woman's heart. You want to have impact. You want her to know something. You want something to be translated from your heart to hers. You want there to be movement. You want to touch her in a way. I mean, even sexually, think about the lack of impact that you may have at times. That's terrible. There's, there's just a pervasiveness to the lack of impact and the futility that we experience that kills our souls. And that's just something that stays with us. We also see that we ultimately have no lasting impact because we die. It says, uh, from dust you came and dust you will return. And it's kind of like Ecclesiastes. If you've never read Ecclesiastes, check it out. Uh, It's it's really frustrating because you'll see these cycles that happen throughout nature and throughout life. And ultimately, it's this picture of, you know, uh, it seems to suggest that there is no point to life. It seems to suggest until you get to the end of the book, that there is actually no real meaning and purpose and impact that you can have. It's definitely written by a man. I mean, it's just, that's, that's what's going on there. And so, um, the world around us is the domain that we've been given to cultivate our wives' hearts, you know, those that are under our authority, our children, and yet we have no ultimate impact. So that's pretty, 
pretty terrible. I, I experienced that a lot, and, and I hate it. Anybody uh, experience that? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, the weight of the curse in a woman's life is played out in a nurturing relationship, uh, how there's longing, how there's heartache, and for men it's felt in his inability to move into his world. So there's sort of, um, there's this, this way that we're both impacted in different ways, but it causes us to both kind of seize up in similar ways. Um, and so we both want to escape the curse of the fall. Um, so, Um, we're going to, so we've kind of covered, this is sort of biblical framework. I'm going to make kind of a hard transition here. Um, I'm going to make a bunch of disclaimers, and it would really mean a lot if you would listen to this part. Um, this next information that we're going to go over, part of it's on an axis and a circle graph. Um, this is behavioral analysis from Dan Allender. Dan Allender has a PhD in psychology. He has an MDiv from <coughs> Westminster Seminary. Um, he is primarily who Luke and I learned from with our Masters of Counseling in regards to um, how to counsel people. Um, so I want you all to understand that these are not like, although I do think we could find biblical examples for each of these ways in which we relate, um, this, is, this is not gospel. These are helpful categories for us to kind of go through to look at the ways we are avoiding intimacy and the ways that we relate with each other that keep us from experiencing marriage the way that God intended. Um, as we're kind of going through this, um, women, you know, no woman is the same and no man is the same, but the, some of those kind of foundational struggles are, are there. Um, the desire for control um, and then the way we avoid and so as you look on your axis, um, we see uh, with, and the, the way we look at this is those lines are circular as well. Um, and so the next diagram is circle of it as well. So think of those arrows coming back together. So, um, yeah, like, so looking at the women, party girl <laughs> and tough girl are actually really close together, if that makes sense, if they kind of close the circle. Um, these are, again, categorical. Uh, the point of this is not for you to find your name and say, this is me, and I need to fix it. Um, the point of this, this is categorical. There's a lot of points of relating kind of in between all of these categories. So if you're like, none of these really fit me, uh, you're gonna be, you'll be lying if you don't connect with at least pieces of some of them. Mm -hmm. um, I also think something that's helpful to think through is that um, the, the way in which this plays out, um, marriages look different in different seasons and uh, different ways of life. And so you can vacillate on this scale within a day, but you could also very much vacillate on this scale um, in, uh, in different seasons of life. Um, <clears throat> and we'll, Luke and I'll even share, we'll get to kind of us sharing kind of where we are and where we, like, where we kind of vacillate in between, um, and that'd be helpful. Another thing is if you, one thing that I think is helpful that one of our professors used to say, if you're feeling a lot of, like, ugh, that's gross, it's probably you. Um, when we're talking about these categorical mm. things, if you're, um, 
if that's something that's like really upsetting you inside and you're having some disruption, my <coughs> guess is that you're experiencing some shame of that you relating with that. Um, another way to ask is if you're like, I don't know what this is, be vulnerable and ask your spouse. Hey, how do you experience me? Is that what you experience as we talk and we relate in life? Or um, is it something else? Um, kind of be, be curious with how you're being experienced. Um, the, the sin, the, please also note, these are, we used very specifically the language boy and girl. Um, the, these are all sinful patterns. So there's no health on this page. This is all ways of broken relating because of the fall. Categories to kind of help us talk about that and help us to see the way that plays out uniquely for us. Um, it's not all-encompassing. It's just kind of a, a, a tool. So, yeah, that's okay. great. That's really helpful. And um, just remember all of these, you have permission to be here. You have permission to be a sinner impacted by the fall. We've, we've tried to give you that permission. So um, it's okay to fall on this axis somewhere because we do. Mm-hmm. Um, Another and thing, sorry, one more thing to think through. As you're looking at this, think specifically about your marriage as you're looking at it. Um, it's it's very common, actually, to be experienced as one in your, in your home and in your marriage and actually be experienced <clears throat> as something else outside of the home, um, especially maybe based on your vocational calling. Um, I have counseled a handful of little boys, which when you think about what that is, it kind of is self-explanatory. We're going to go in that. That are actually one guy was a, um, really high up at crew in Orlando. So he's probably not experienced as little boy in the workplace. So think categorically, what, it, what does my marriage dynamic look like? Not necessarily everyone, although I think, it's, I think it can be used outside of marriage specifically for our purpose. That's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah. So um, we're, we're referring to this as relating styles, how you relate to your spouse. Um, we don't know if that's just some, like, jargon that we've picked up along the way, but what we mean by that is how you kind of do relationship with your spouse, how you're experienced. So that's kind of the, you know, attempt at a definition there. So why don't you talk to us, Megan, about kind of women's styles of relating? Yeah. Um, Okay, so we've talked about control and then avoidance, Um, and women primarily experiencing a sense of control. So is it, is it passive control um, or is it aggressive control? And what is the way in which you avoid intimacy um, or shame the fact that you're not experiencing it in the way you would assert yourself in your marriage? Um, All of these are are ways in which we will struggle. Um, I know that when we talk about the language on some of these, like little boy sounds a little bit better to me than macho boy. Um, They are all equally sinful. They are all ways of relating that are unhealthy and void intimacy. And so don't get caught up in, again, just the idiosyncrasies of how that kind of plays out. Um, Let me add that this isn't an all or nothing thing. Like you always do this, but like when you are living out of your sin nature, this is kind of what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so why don't we get started? Um, we're going to start with the passive controllers for the women. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with the little girl, okay? 
Um, just by the name, what do you expect that this style of relating will include? Yes, neediness. That's a good one. So there's something about the little girl that's purposefully naive, uh, simple-minded, not necessarily dumb, not a, a reflection of IQ, but more a way of saying, I'm not going to use my intelligence to engage the world around me. It's sort of like a feigned helplessness. Um, comes across as somewhat younger than they actually are, perhaps adolescent, perhaps incompetent, um, very needy. Uh, someone who needs a rescuer, someone who needs someone to show up and deliver them. Um, so this is sort of a manipulative helplessness that is used in order to somewhat secure a sense of self a sense of safety from the relationships around them. So notice how this is passive. There's a passivity to how they are controlling in the way that they engage. Um, I would guess that you would feel uh, compelled to help this girl out, this woman. Um, and this would be someone who may be experienced at times like a southern belle, um, very polite very uh, genteel maybe, very sociable, very uh, many things, uh, including perhaps um, some, some so almost flirtatiousness. Um, there could be most certainly here a lack of depth with this person. Um, the message that this person somewhat communicates um, is that they're going to draw life from you by being fragile or naive. Uh, and they basically require other people to make choices for her. I mean, Imagine, uh, and we, you, you maybe ought to think of some people, um, if you ask someone to go to dinner, um, where do you want to go? If you ask a little girl, where do you want to go to dinner? She's like, oh, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm kind of up for whatever. And you're like, yeah, 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 me too. What do you really want to do? And it's just like you'll do that like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And ultimately there's no decisiveness, there's no decision, there's no desire, there's no, you know, owning of self uh, because they're sort of not that in there. Um, so there can be a certain degree of sweetness and warmth. Um, and you might experience the tears of this person somewhat manipulatively. You might experience their sadness as a way of drawing you in and kind of feeling sticky and kind of having some hooks to kind of control you in a very passive way. Um, you might even experience this person gossiping in a very kind of subtle way where... Um, uh, you know, you might ask them, hey, you seem off today. Are you hurt by something? Oh, no, it's nothing. And you're like, no, really, I mean, what's going on? Well, I don't want to talk, you know, about it. And, like, they'll cause you to draw it out of them in a way that it's actually kind of your fault in a way that you're actually talking about this thing. Um, so what what's also interesting is that the little girl would probably tend to be on the kind of an unpredictable side of how they relate. Um, and that's kind of the the way that there's a lot of shifting and, and moving, it's kind of hard to pin this person down uh, because it's, it's really a highly developed way of manipulating the relationships around them so that this person is insulated, protected from actually having to show up and engage and risk and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's a passive form of control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, will, you will experience <coughs> a sense of, I, and it's not necessarily spoken, but like, that person so much can't handle conflict or hard questions. I need to take care of them. 
I need to manage <coughs> everything around them so that they're okay. Um, Dan said, uh, we were listening to something he said, and he said, you feel like you have to stop and help her change the tire of her car, not because she needs help, because you actually think she'll die on the side of the road. Like, there's just no sense <coughs> of self um, from her, and but it's this pull. Uh, it's a pull. It's a pull to care for. Yeah. Um, when walking towards party girl, so again, these are fluid. These are not. This is you. This is you. Uh, you might experience a little girl being flirtatious, but there'll be no intent. So a party girl is going to take you in the bathroom, and you're going to have a good time. Uh, a, a little girl is going to flirt, bat her eyes, but if you engage that, you are the problem and you will be shamed for it. So it's a, I'm going to have this dangerous to me. I have a little bit of unpredictability, um, <coughs> and yet I may bat my eyes and have a part of it. It's not so much sexual but sensual, uh, curiosity of who she is as a, as a woman. And then if engaged by a man, oh, how dare you, you know, come on to me. Um, yeah. And so there's a way in which there's just no responsibility taken for anything. Um, so we've got these clips for this now. So, uh, disclaimer, <laughs> these clips are meant for a little bit of comic relief because some of this stuff is heavy. Um, but also, I do think they're the kind of helpful categories. So I hope you can feel the freedom to yeah. laugh and yeah. enjoy them. But um, but they're also somewhat... Um, dramatized. Well, yeah, like... They are. Um, categorically, some of these caricatures that you'll see are a little bit extreme. Yeah. Um, so just take it with a grain of salt. It's not maybe as focused on this one scene uh, of any of these clips that you may see, but just a broader category, but it's something to look at. So um, do we have the ability to show the clip? Great. Rock and roll. It's no good, Scarlett. What? The cologne. Uh, I'm sure I don't know what you mean. I mean, you've been drinking. Brandy. Quite a lot. What have I had? Is that any of your affair? Don't drink alone, Scarlett. People always find out, and it ruins their reputation. <laughs> what is it? This is more than losing old Frank. Oh, Red. I'm so afraid. I don't believe it. You've never been afraid in your life. I'm afraid now. I'm afraid of dying and going to hell. <laughs> you look pretty healthy. Maybe there isn't any hell. Oh, there is. I know there is. I was raised on it. Oh, far be it for me to question the teachings of childhood. Tell me what you've done that hell yawns before you. <laughs> Never do a mad Frank to begin with. He was Suellen's boy and he loved her, not me. And I made him miserable. I killed him. Yes, I did. I killed him. Oh, oh, Red. For the first time, I'm finding out what it is to be sorry for something I've done. Yeah. Dry your eyes. If you had it all to do over again, you'd do no differently. You're like the thief who isn't the least bit sorry he stole, but he's terribly, terribly sorry he's going to jail. Oh, I'm glad Mother's dead. I'm glad she's dead so she can't see me. I always wanted to be like her. 
think you're on the verge of a crying jay. <laughs> So uh, what you see, I mean, this is such a fascinating movie because Scarlett O'Hara, she, she actually in the movie vacillates between being a little girl and then later on in the movie being much more tough in her presentation. Um, but in this, it's clear Rhett just does not buy into the tears. He totally gets that she's this manipulative, tricksy kind of Southern belle and just kind of she's going to use people around her. That's kind of the essence of it. She's going she's gonna to make life work for her. So, yeah. Um, next, we're going to cover Party Girl. Um, no, you're, you're right. I was just thinking about, um, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so these were kind of moving towards passive controller, which sounds ironic because being a party girl is probably an intense person. Um, but really it is a way of avoiding. So um, her behaviors are going to be more extreme. She's going to be overtly flirtatious, overtly seductive. Um, she will use sex to control and escape. Um, and she can do this without having sex. Right. Um, I worked with a couple a couple years ago, and their marriage, the couple's marriage was a total mess. And um, But she kept saying, and all she would say sometimes was but our sex life is great and it was just but she was just holding on to that one thing like I can perform here and this works and my husband is pleased in this area and I'm pleased in this area so that's working um but there was no sustenance to her I remember saying to her at one point I feel like I don't know you and I've been sitting with you for six sessions like I I don't know who you are I, I get that you're great at sex and you're beautiful and I'm glad that you can please your husband in that way but I don't know you, and I'm guessing your husband doesn't either. And um, that actually was kind of part of the breaking point for her. So um, you can use, use seductiveness to avoid conflict um, or voicing true feelings, even kind of using sexual jokes or things like that to kind of skirt out of it. Um, the part of girl is fun. Um, you want to be around her. She's, she's a good time. Um, she's the kind of... Uh, I will rock the, the language used. Would be, uh, you know, she kind of rocks your world. She's fun. You want to be around her. She's, uh, she's the, the life of the party. Um, oftentimes we'll see um, some, a lot of addictive tendencies in this. So this is kind of part of going back to the, pa the passive controller part. Um, oftentimes when people are struggling with substance abuse, they are trying to avoid life. They are trying to not feel the impact of weight, and so they'll take in a substance that um, it lets them escape. And so in the same way, she uses her sexuality and her fun party, I'm just going to have a good time, but you're never going to actually get to know my heart and my soul to avoid relationship. Um, I think I had the privilege of working in a um, rehab center for a couple years in Orlando, and... Um, it was beautiful to see if you offer this girl um, a desire to know her, the softening that happens over time. <laughs> um, but the intensity of the way that, like, even in substance abuse, the majority of the women that I worked with were prostitutes because that's how they got their drugs. That's how they got their next fix. Maybe they didn't practice as prostitutes, but if they needed a fix, they were willing to do whatever they needed to do to get that, and that was often what, was, what worked for them. Um, I don't want to pinhole it just to that demographic, but I think that 
gives an example. Um, I, I think I see some high school girls that sometimes live out of this. If I can just be fun and be pretty and be wanted and use my sexuality, no one will ever actually have to get to know me and because that's too scary. So I'm going to avoid being known and I'm going to avoid conflict by being fun. If I'm fun and I'm party girl, then no, one, no one's going to challenge me. No one's going to um, engage me. She's, she's pretty unpredictable in those things. Um, she comes across less afraid and more courageous and less whiny um, than little girl, but she still is very much a passive controller. Um, it just kind of looks differently. Um, her gossiping will be comparative and competitive to demean other women. It's, it's a, I'm better, and, and then as long as you know that, we'll be okay. Um, commitment is going to be a four-letter letter word to party girl. She just wants to have a good time. She wants to show up to the party when she wants to and leave the party when she wants to. She doesn't want to be required of um, in any way. Um, the actor Elizabeth Hurley um, said, uh, I don't do love, meaning I, I just don't do relationship, but I'll, have, but I'll have a good time. I think other ways to engage this as party girl is, is in, not just in necessarily sexuality directly or in partying such as substance abuse, but also... Um, in things that serve our body, women who struggle with vanity. Um, I think even any type of obsession with exercise, there still is that obsession with your body and obsession with using your body for something that um, either keeps people invited into you but not too close or kind of keeps people at a distance. Do we have a clip for that? Yeah. And Samantha was at Raw, ready to it's get a little race. Hey, welcome to Raw. Hello. I was here the other night. That's what happens. You come once and you just keep coming over and over. <laughs> You're so big. I'll be with you in a minute. I'm getting slammed tonight. For some reason, the hosts keep seating everyone in my section. Rebecca. Hi. Sorry. Suddenly, Samantha realized why the raw food movement was a movement. Women weren't there for the cold food. They were there for the hot waiter. Four hours and four courses of uncooked food later, Samantha and her competitors waited it out. Maybe they were less horny. Maybe it was all that roughage. But one by one, women threw in the napkin. Um, she is a character. So, are are y'all connecting in your mind right now, without saying names, some people that may fit in a general way some of these categories in your life? Um, whether or not that's you just just thinking, are you able to connect some of that? See some tendencies emerging. Well, okay. 
we're going to keep going, and we're going to go now to the nice girl or good girl, and um, something that is probably going to appear throughout this is that the closer you get to the middle of the axis is probably where the most Christian folk are going to live, just as a way of tendency. Um, and that in itself is sort of a cultural learned thing in itself, but not to say that we can't be Christians and, and act out in these other ways, um, but I think the stuff that's a little bit closer to the middle of the axis is going to connect a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're more common. More common. Um, okay, so I'll cover this real quick. The, um, so we use the word good and nice interchangeably. Um, <coughs> the language Dan uses is good girl based on just being good and then everything will be okay. Um, nice girl, and I, I know those have been in our church for a while. Y'all have been through the um, peace, the peacemaking material. So uh, just for a second, I'm going to talk about that for a minute. So um, nowhere in the Bible does God call us to be nice, um, but he, he calls us to be kind. And sometimes kindness is being bold and calling people out. And so the way in which the good and nice girl relates is just sort of avoiding conflict, not manipulatively like the little girl and the party girl, but just everything's fine. Everything's nice. We're good. Everything's good. Just kind of stuffing it under the rug. Um, so the niceness, meaning so that the, the peacekeeping is managing, is I don't want my husband to feel the weight of his behavior. I don't want to feel the weight of my behavior. Let's just keep, I just want to avoid conflict. So I'm just not going to bring stuff up. If things could be better in my marriage, I'm just going to choose to not bring it up because that's easier rather than having to deal with the conflict. That's peacekeeping. You're, you're managing. You're controlling. Um, peacemaking is engaging that, engaging some of those harder conversations at hope for more intimacy, at hope for experiencing relationship the way that God had intended. Um, so good girl, she's, uh, she's a, your typical church-going woman. Um, she's good with people. She's pleasant. She's giving. She's a doer. She works hard at keeping peace and avoiding conflict. Would rather just sort of stuff hurt and stuff experiences than say, hey, that hurt my feelings. <coughs> Some of this is done innocently with a lack of skill set to do so, but also a lack of willingness to figure out how to engage conflict well. Um, she tends not to voice her feelings, um, but feels that, again, engaging conflict is too much. You'll rarely see this person lose their temper. Their emotions are maybe internally up and down, but as you would experience them, they're pretty steadfast. Um, she's not easily hurt. Um, she just kind of engages and then kind of goes about her day. Um, She's compliant is sort of the, a, a big word that might be helpful. She's just compliant with everything. Everything's <coughs> fine. Everything's great. Um, she can be service-oriented. Um, so one of the things that a woman has said is, I'm not required to give you my soul because I've given you my hands. So there's a sense of just, if I say everything's fine and we're managing that fine and niceness, then don't require more of me, um, nor will I require more of you? And we'll just stay in this nice, easy place. Um, She's a good hostess. She can even struggle with people pleaser. Oftentimes, she'll have little or no interest in sex um, 
or if she is, it's done sort of as service or dutifulness. She may enjoy sex physically, but it is not a, a place of passion. Um, the big language for a good, nice girl is they're, they're, you enjoy them, but they're kind of passionless. There's no intensity to them. You don't, you don't see them get excited about anything. Um, you often feel like you can't necessarily ask them of more because they're already doing so much and they're so nice. Why would I get upset with this person that helped me with this because they're so nice? I just, it's fine. I just shut it down. Um, so it's a way, again, in which they keep you at a distance, um, but also a way in which they keep them, they, they, they are not known. Um, she <clears throat> is, is difficult to call passion forth from her. Um, it's difficult to really get her fired up about anything. Oftentimes, if you offer a compliment, she'll say something like, it was nothing, or kind of dismissively just say, it was the Lord, which that is an okay thing to say, but done in a way that doesn't receive that the Lord used you to use that. Thank you. Thanks for, you know, acknowledging my gifts. There is a, you know, a, a, a dismissal or a, oh, but this was messed up, and so it's not really worth praising. It's just sort of a, don't notice me, keep the line just straight, and, and we'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that sounds a lot more Christian on the outside than the party girl. Um, and yet, there's just something there that is, is hiding, um, that is controlling the world around her to avoid intimacy. Um, so. Christ, Christ was extremely <clears throat> passionate. Um, he was kind of a wild man, if you really, really read the scripture, for how he, he was highly emoting. He was very expressive. He was kind of an intense guy. Um, and so, therefore, living in this sort of place keeps you from really also experiencing the passion of Jesus and the passion of marriage and the passion of your life. Um, it works. It's not necessarily disruptive, um, but it's, it's really dead. Jesus is kind of, the irony is this, this language sometimes sounds like, oh, that's a submissive wife. Like, that's just being kind. That's nice. That's really nice. Um, but you're missing the passion of who Christ is, I think, when we kind of go to that place. Yeah. Um, let's check out the video. Hmm. This is from the movie The Stepford, Stepford Wives. I feel like church folk sometimes relate like this. You have a fight in the car, and then... Roger. Roberta. You get out of the car.
Good evening, everyone. What a delight to see all of our wonderful wives and their happy, happy husbands. Tonight is truly the highlight of our year because tonight we honor our very newest citizens of Stepford. In my opinion, they are the cream of the crop and couple that proudly proclaims Stepford, the American way of love. So this is clearly obviously exaggerated, um, but there just is a sense of everything is nice, everything is fine. Why would we talk about hard things when that's disruptive? Um, we're going to take a bathroom. Let me jump in there. Yeah, yeah, do that. Um, so what's interesting about this movie is that they're robots. Mm -hmm. Has anybody seen that movie? The Stepford Wives are actually robots, and the nice girl kind of relates that way. Mm -hmm. Kind of like there's this, there's a straw man, there's, there's a roboticness, there's, there's a, a lacking piece of soul, passion, fire, and, and somewhere along the way in the journey of life, this life under the sun, this sinful, relationally broken world, these women have learned to turn something off out of a wounded place and learn to relate in a way that highly insulates themselves so that they don't experience that. And that's sad. And I hope that uh, as we talk about these things that are broken, we can also have compassion for the people that we see in our lives that may manifest some of these tendencies because it's sad. And for ourselves, yeah. And for ourselves. So, um, yeah, Stepford Wives, nice girl. Let's take a break. We'll see you in 10. <laughs> 